Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston. We call ourselves Drilling Deep because we talk about oil, which has to be drilled to be obtained. And we talk about our subjects of the week. We drill into it. I'm happy to have my colleague J.P. Hampstead with me this week. We're going to be speaking about the rush to create visibility in the supply chain. It's a need so obvious that it's a wonder why not everybody is signing up for the many visibility services that are out there, some of whom have only maybe five or six years old. But a lot of companies are not, and we're going to find out why. Do you like things quiet? Do you like them calm? Then you should be very happy with the oil and diesel markets lately. It's one of the reasons why I don't have a lot to say today about anything in those markets, but I'll try to find a few things in regardless. After months of increases in commodity prices and retail prices, after 20 weeks of increases in the DOE price that sets the basis for diesel surcharges, it's all pretty quiet out there. The DOE price has been down two weeks in a row and at 3.144 cents per gallon, that's 314.4 cents per gallon, it's down about five cents from where it peaked at the top of that 20-week run. So it's not a big move downward given how far we rose. Ultimately, that 20-week run added about 80 cents to the price of the DOE number. Meanwhile, the commodity price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME exchange has fluctuated in a range of about $1.77 to $1.82 per gallon for about two weeks now. Again, that's normal volatility, nothing particularly crazy. The price of Brent crude, the world benchmark for crude, has been about the same level of volatility, moving between $62 and a bit over $64 per barrel for the past few weeks. The dollar index, which moves inversely to the price of oil, measuring the strength of the dollar, that number is about the same today as it was a month ago. So no impact on the price of oil from the strength or weakness of the dollar. If you're a consumer, isn't it nice? You know, markets are bound to do this. They can't be volatile forever. At a certain point, there will be balance. The amount of quiet in the market these days is somewhat surprising, though, given that OPEC and its brethren in, in the OPEC Plus group just last week decided to put another, another 2 million barrels of crude per day onto the market. This meeting took place virtually on Thursday. That move was unexpected, just like the fact that about two months earlier, in early February, the decision to do nothing was also unexpected. But really, OPEC did need to take some action. There are so many moving parts to oil markets, but the one I like to look at, if you can only look at one or two numbers, is a number that's known as the OPEC call. Here's how you get it. You start with estimates from an agency like the International Energy Agency, the IEA. In fact, the call actually is their number, but you can use other data. We'll, we'll stick with the IEA numbers. You get it by taking estimated future global demand. You subtract estimated non-OPEC production. You then subtract something called natural gas liquids like propane and butane. That's in there, too. And what's left is the OPEC call. It's the number that OPEC needs to produce to keep markets balanced. In the third quarter of this year, that call is estimated at 27.9 million barrels a day. In the fourth quarter, it's 29.3 million barrels per day. But the latest estimate on OPEC production from S&P Global Platts for February was 24.86 million barrels a day. Uh, so you can see right there, that is a gap of about 4.5 million barrels a day uh, compared to the fourth quarter call. I will tell you that I don't have time to research it, but in all the years I've been covering oil, that gap is enormous. That is really big. So what OPEC producing now is way, way below the call for later on this year. Of course, there's another factor, which is the amount of oil in inventory in its most recent report, the IEA said there was plenty of oil in storage worldwide. In fact, 
when the OPEC plus group a month, a month, or I shouldn't say a month back in February, decided not to put more oil back onto the market, hefty diesel inventories were seen as a possible reason. So you're a consumer of diesel. Just enjoy the stable market for now. It won't last. Not that we know which way it's going to head from here, but there will be volatility eventually. Just wait for it. We are going to change directions now on Drilling Deep, and we're going to get real visible. My guest is my colleague, J.P. Hampstead. J.P., one of the few people who's been at Freightways longer than I have. When I joined, he was already on the staff. So J.P. now has uh, taken the title of Director of Passport Research at Freightways Passport. Among the areas he's been doing a lot of research on recently is that of visibility. And not only is he doing a lot of research on it, JT, but there's a lot of it coming out of the news sector. It's a story you wrote yesterday we can talk about in a minute. But uh, anyway, welcome to Drilling Deep. I think this is the first time I've had you on. Thanks for having me, John. It's a pleasure. Um, really big fan of the podcast, and it's been exciting to see what you have been up to. So, uh, you know, thanks again for having me on. All right. So why don't we start by you defining visibility? Sure. Um I mean, at its simplest, visibility just seeks to answer the question, where is my freight? Uh, Back in the old days, uh, truckers would have to stop by the side of the road and go to a payphone and call their dispatcher or their broker to tell them their physical location. Um, And visibility software, especially visibility solution providers, are about uh, answering that question. But then... um, you know, recently it's become more about the analytics that you could build on top of simply answering the question, where is my freight? So, um, you know, you can say you can have descriptive analytics that report back all of the data, like, you know, how is my facility doing? Is it, is it shipping on time? How are my carriers doing? Are they picking up everything that they're supposed to be picking up? Then you can get into predictive visible, uh, predictive analytics, which is like, what are the odds that this shipment will arrive on time? And then finally, um, with the most high quality and highest volume of data, you might be able to get into prescriptive analytics, which which is automated recommendations saying, no, you really shouldn't uh, ship this by intermodal. This probably needs to be a truckload move. Or have you considered, um, you know, looking for... Uh, ocean capacity instead of air, it's, you know, things like that. All right. So what amazed me in, in kind of researching visibility for this is the market penetration. And not that it's so high, but it's the kind of thing like I can't help but think, why isn't this 100%? I mean, this just seems so obvious. I mean, and if it's not 100%, I'm sure it's because of the cost of truly signing on to a, a very efficient developed system. But there's really no reasons not to do this, right? Except Maybe there's a cost barrier. Yeah, I mean, different uh, visibility solution providers attack different parts of the market and sort of view different sides of the market as their main customer. So someone like Trucker Tools is you know, an app for drivers, and that's how it sort of tracks them through a phone GPS. And they really try to provide a lot of extra benefits and tools uh, and things for drivers to create that stickiness. But the, the leading, in, in my view, like like the the most uh, the largest and fastest growing visibility providers, look at shippers as their main customers. Um, and I think, I mean, you know, one part, one thing is is yeah, it, it could be expensive, but I think the, the other part is just that you 
the shippers have to have the technological ability to ingest all this data and then do something with it. Like, does it, you know, they have to have a kind of return on investment. They have to see a time to value for, for taking in all this data. If they, if they don't have a way to, for example, dynamically change a dock appointment of a truck, if they know that truck is going to be late, then what, then what is knowing that it's late actually, actually do for them? Yeah, you think about a company like a General Motors or a General Mills, which ships massive quantities of freight, whether it's boxes of Cheerios or Cadillacs, presumably they're going to invest in they're going to invest in visibility, visibility. But you can imagine some small manufacturer whose total turnover is, you know, a million or two million a year. Uh, and it's just not worth it to them. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. And, and um you know, a, a very small manufacturer, maybe that ships through through parcel can already get a lot of visibility through some of those large carriers. Right. And so, you know, there are there are options for for that kind of company. But, yeah, I mean, um, the, the leading visibility solution providers are mostly focused on multinational corporations that ship across global regions in, in a variety of modes. So there's been a lot of news. And actually, since uh, you and I talked yesterday, JP, in preparing this, there's been some news this morning. We're talking here on Thursday morning, April 8th. And this morning it was announced that Orbcom, uh, which is a leading ELD provider, but also likes to describe itself as a leading provider of Internet of Things technology, is being acquired by private equity for a 50% plus premium over the closing stock price the day before. And then you covered a story yesterday uh, involving uh, visibility in the ocean space uh, that was pretty significant. Uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, actually, I, I didn't write that, um, but I think, okay. I think maybe Grace did. I think I drew it to the editorial team's attention. But are you talking about um, Forkites acquiring Haven? Right, which is which is a, a extending visibility into the ocean space, and I know that you have taken a look at that. There have been yeah. some other deals there uh, in the past months. So, is this kind of the new frontier? Um, it's it's one of them, certainly. I mean, and I think uh, to to understand the Four Kites Haven acquisition, you really have to go back to uh, Project Forty Four's acquisition of Ocean Insights, which is another you know visibility platform focused on containerized ocean shipping. Um, they they bought Ocean Insights, and and I guess you also have to understand the sort of rivalry between you know the hometown rivalry between Four Kites and and P forty four Project forty four, which are both based in Chicago. Um, they're they're sort of fierce competitors, and Ocean Insights was the main vendor of ocean visibility data to Four Kites. Project forty four acquired Ocean Insights sort of out from under. Four kites, and then four kites, um, you know, scrambled in a sense to look at some other options. I know they looked at Clear Metal, um, which is a San Francisco-based ocean visibility provider. Didn't go with them, pro- likely due to valuation concerns, and instead bought by Haven. Um, and you know, it's ocean visibility is really interesting because you see things in press releases saying like, okay, we can track ninety-nine percent of global containers on the water right but that's not really what's at issue here john i mean if if you if if we had a container number we could easily match that to one of the 6500 container vessels on the water we could pull free ais data from a website like vessel finder to see that vessel and we could track 
99% of all the containers. What's really at issue is the interface between ocean and land. What happens when the container hits the port, gets into the container terminal, what's happening at the, the intermodal rail ramp, or you know, is it, is it being matched to a chassis? Who's pulling it to a translating facility, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's really where, um, you know, and, and that's really where uh, the ocean visibility provider has to integrate with a large number of other systems like terminal operation, op- operating systems and things like that. That's where it becomes a, a mesh of lots of different inputs and latencies and, 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 and qualities of data, right? And that's where it gets complicated. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting. I mean, for me, I think Haven is, is kind of a, um, a tricky company. It, you know, it raised about $20 million to build technology, pivoted a couple times. I think it really only has a handful of customers. I'm not really sure why. And I know the sale price uh, was, was fairly low. Um, and, to me, that's that's like okay. There's either a product problem or there's like a sales culture, like go to market problem. And if it's a technology or a product problem, that's obviously you know that could be a bad deal for four kites. If it's a sales and go to market problem, that could be a great deal for four kites, right? They could get this technology system. They could offer it to all of their existing customers, upsell them on better ocean visibility and this dynamic ocean platform that that, that they're launching. And you know, take take what was a you know almost a distressed asset and make it you know a way to drive you know net revenue retention. So I, I don't really know what the answer is there, but that those are the kind of questions that come to my mind when I see a deal like that. When I was looking over a list of the biggest visibility companies, some names popped up there that were familiar, like a C.H. Robinson. Um, and it seems to me that, you know, if you look at the long run future of this industry, it would seem to me that some of the really big three PLs, uh, like a C.H. Robinson or an Echo, it might be a, a logical uh, logical formula for a company like that to acquire somebody like a Four Kites for a Project 44. I mean, does, does, does it make sense for a visibility company to stand alone or does it make sense for them to be part of a bigger company that services the supply chain? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's 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 a thorny issue. Um, there are a lot of very large three PLs that have their own sort of in-phone apps and can provide visibility that way to their customers. But I think one of the main issues is uh, the shipper's wallet share. Like, for I mean, and I'm just using these as an example. But say you're you know a Fortune 100 food and beverage company in the U.S. And you give C.H. Robinson about 25% of your freight every year. You probably don't want to give them any more than that because you don't really want them to have that much leverage over your supply chain, over your transportation spend. You want to remain in the driver's seat as a shipper. So if they acquired the visibility platform, like that, you know, that almost like... First of all, it would damage those those integrations with all the, the other three PLs and carriers that you use. Um, it would make it difficult. Like it, I, I almost think it would reduce the value for for shippers if it was because they're they're never going to want to give a three PL all of their freight in the same way that they would want all of their freight tracked by a visibility solution provider. Are there any kind of smaller companies making their way up the charts? We talked about Project Forty Four. We talked about Four Kites. Trucker Tools, uh, anybody else out there that we should uh, be looking at as a as a possible big competitor down the road? 
Yeah, I mean, there there are companies like Vizion, V-I-Z-I-O-N, is a is a relatively new um, ocean visibility provider. Um, you know, it's I I, I think the, the space is is like, in my opinion, people think that the space is like baked, right? That that like the big winners have already been chosen by the market. They've raised a lot of capital. They have a huge advantage in terms of technology partnerships and integrations but i don't really like think that's the case um i think even the leading companies are still fairly small i mean they're they're still like you know 30 40 million dollars in annual revenue um and i think that like the future of visibility when you think about just you know the fact that telematics hasn't really uh penetrated the trucking industry in north america much less the trucking industry in, in europe or latin america when you think about the fact that like uh, truck OEMs are going to be putting dozens, if not hundreds more sensors and things like that on trucks, you know, the internet of things that we were talking about earlier with Orbcom, like visibility solution providers will provide like far more um, information about what's happening to a vehicle, um, you know, a container asset or a trailer, a chassis, the condition of the freight itself, um, I, I think the technology is actually still fairly immature uh, compared to what it will be. And I think these companies are still small um, and and there's a lot up for grabs. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that the largest visibility company or the winner in the space has even been founded yet, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. Thirty, forty million dollars in revenue you hear. You know, we, of course, at Freightways, we've written a lot about Project 44 and Forkites and some of the big providers. And when you when you get down to the reality of $40 million in, in revenue, that's really impressive, given that a lot of these companies might have only been around. I think one of them I saw the start date was 2014. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's if this is going to be as big as you say it is, and there's no reason to believe that it isn't, you know, the, the top producer here is going to be making a lot more than $40 million in revenue. But let's talk about some of the VC money in there. Project 44 did have a $100 million investment late last year. Um, and uh, a European company called, is it Shipio? Is that the correct, correct pronunciation? Yep. They recently got $32 million. So is this does this continue to be a an industry very much funded by VC money? Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, I just think because there's a really clear kind of, you know, it's, it's fairly obvious that, uh, these companies are more valuable the more carrier partners they have, the more three PLs they have, the more shippers they have, and like, like I think that it fits the, the venture capital model of, you know, getting big before you try to become profitable. So yeah, I, I, th I think that like, like the, the you know, unlike for example, maybe um, you know, a digital freight brokerage, which you know, venture capital has funded several of those um i think that the the software model that that the visibility solution providers is better suited to venture capital and so i i, I just think it it makes sense they understand it and and i do think that um the money will, will continue to, to flow to these companies you mentioned europe that they're a little bit behind uh and that's uh, as well as in, in the same way that ocean is a great new frontier europe is as well uh, is there a lag in europe and are these companies these leading companies in the us looking to europe as a fertile ground for growth they are um so there are really two leaders in europe there's um 
Shipeo, which you mentioned earlier, which is a French company. And then there's Sixfold, which was German and then was acquired by Transporion, which is basically a German TMS. Um, and these companies tend to be a lot more laid back than Forkites and Project 44. Um, they're more collaborative, willing to you know be very aggressive on price in order to like, grow into to certain markets. Um, and they're just they don't really have the same uh, company culture as their American competitors. And what do I mean by that? Um, when you, when you think about the two kind of dominant strains of culture that 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 are at like a project 44 or four kites it's the american or the silicon valley backed venture capital startup of aggressive growth um you know not necessarily you know being able to tolerate a fairly high cash burn um focus on certain kinds of metrics uh and then you have the chicago brokerage world which is where a lot of their account executives come from which is also very you know, pounding the phones, getting your numbers up. Um, in, in some ways, it's kind of an unsustainable, like workaholic culture that that churns through people. Not necessarily. You know, I, I, I just got to interrupt you. I can't help but be thinking right now about the Untouchables um, uh, with Kevin Costner and, and Sean Connery. And Sean Connery put a pistol in the dead man's mouth and and shot shot him again. Um, because uh, to, to try to get somebody else to talk. And one of the Canadian Royal Matthews who witnesses said, I don't like your methods. And Kevin Costa's response was, well, you're not from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like these companies can be uh, somewhat cutthroat, um, especially with regard to how they can be with each other. But, but you know, it, there's a sense that like, even though um, ShipAO and, and Sixfold are on their home turf, so to speak, um, they're being to some degree outpaced by these American companies. Um, and I mean, there are a lot of differences between Europe and North America that I think we should talk about, John. I mean, I think there's, a, you know, we've made a lot of hay and like lots of, it's, it's kind of a well-known cliche that um, trucking in North America is highly fragmented. Right. And especially in terms of the the structure of the market and just, the, the the vast number of very small carriers and owner operators. Well, that you know that isn't necessarily true of, of Europe in terms of. I mean, there are, for example, uh, you know, many many owner operators in countries like Poland, for example. But what really is interesting about Europe is that there aren't what you don't see are the big national enterprise or the sort of continent wide enterprise carriers, right? You see carriers that dominate certain um you know countries uh that have sort of regional networks so german carriers different from uh, dutch carriers which are different from french carriers which are different from italian carriers and all the relationships that the american uh visibility solution providers have built you know when you think about someone you know people like Jeb McCandless and Tommy Barnes at Project 44, the deep relationships that they have in the LTL and the brokerage world in, in, in the U.S., those don't really translate in, in, into um, you know, partnerships with European carriers. And so what they found is that they really do have to open up offices in Europe. They have to get people who speak the language, who can establish trust with these you know, regional carriers um, and, and have a kind of a cultural fit with the the european shippers that that um they seek to do business with and so 
you know, it's, it's a different kind of challenge. Um, and again, it's the market is fragmented more regionally than what you might think of as like vertically or from a market structure perspective. Um, so it's, it's, it's been interesting, but I mean, I mean, so far so good. I think project 44 got out to maybe an early start, uh, by acquiring a gatehouse, which was, a uh, a, an early European uh, visibility provider, um, but it's very much you know the continent is very much in contention, and like they're just kind of getting started there. Uh, anything you think you might be looking for in twenty twenty one? It's obviously going to continue to be a, a very volatile market. You've got new competitors and coming in all the time. But any uh, any other trend for this year that we might not have mentioned? Um, well, I think you know I, I would like to to see um, you know the the i guess further integration of, of more services i think that you know fork heights buying haven which is almost more known as like a workflow automation platform and dealing with the automated reading and recognition of things like customs documents and bills of lading i think that's really interesting i i wonder like how you know how much you know visibility will get into things like um you know, it, how close it gets to things like mat, freight matching. So does it get into, um, you know, insurance? Does it get into carrier vetting? Do, 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 do they ever offer things with, with like payments and, and, and things like that? Um, I wonder about... Yeah, I mean, let's face it. yeah, these companies are not visibility companies. They're software companies. And once you've got that expertise in-house, you can leverage them. And once you know the industry and you've got ties into the industry, you can try to leverage that into many, many other activities that the industry needs. Yeah. And then the final thing I would just say is is what's really interesting to me and what makes um, scaling these visibility companies so hard is that really what they're doing is taking lots and lots of inputs from many, many different systems. So they'll take inputs from a warehouse management system, an inter enterprise resource planning system, a shipper's TMS, a carrier's ELD. Um, a, you know, a brokerage's uh, TMS, they'll connect to it through APIs or EDIs. And th there's lots of different sorts of quality, different latencies, different different attributes that are attached to these records that are coming in. And then they have to do a lot of engineering to produce um, insights that their customers, you know, think are valuable. I think that as, and, and, and so right now, you know, Project 44 or Fork Heights, might perform far better for one shipper than another shipper just based on the quality of the data connections that it can it can establish with the carriers and the transportation providers used by that shipper right and so um i think as we see for example telematics um or you could call it internet of things these devices are on trucks and trailers that can't be turned off that are somewhat more immune to human error as those continue to proliferate the fidelity of the data going into the visibility provider will markedly improve and that's really when i think we'll start to see the true kind of like benefits of of th these kinds of software platforms and and you really see like you know faster more accurate etas better predictions and things like that so it's really I, th I think it, it's a slow grind to just gradually improve the quality of the data connections um, across the entire market. 
JP, this has been such a good interview that we went way past my normal time, but that was worth it. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks again for coming on. We want to thank JP Hampstead. He's the director of passport research at Freightways for joining us here today on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the leading platforms for podcasts. I'm your host, John Kingston. Please join us again. <laughs>